0: You're listening to The Rural Roundup for the latest news in agriculture. I'm Kerry Hammond for the Farm Advisory Service. Tiffany McTaggart is here to bring you her Rural Roundup.
1: Hello and welcome to Rural Roundup. I'm Tiffany McTaggart from SEC Consulting bringing you this week's Rural Roundup, including nutrient budgeting, basic payment scheme, hedge trimming Scottish Upland Sheep Support Scheme and the Agricultural Bill Consultation. The vast majority of harvest has been completed across Scotland, with reports coming in of above average yields. Looking forward to next season, fertiliser prices are remaining high, so it would be worth considering carrying out a nutrient budget across your farm to ensure you are maximising your fertiliser. Have a look at the Preparing for Sustainable Farming funding available for carrying out some soil sampling and take advantage of the available £250 for your personal development in nutrient management planning. Alternatively, speak to an industry expert. They can help you plan your fertiliser usage. Advanced payments for basic payment scheme and greening schemes are due in September. Make sure your contact and funding details for your business are up to date on the Rural Payments and Services website. We are now out of the bird nesting period and can now carry out hedge trimming, trimming of trees and removal and burning of gorse and scrub through until the end of February. Applications are now open for the Scottish Upland Sheep Support Scheme. You can apply until the 30th of November online at Rural Payments and Services. This scheme provides additional support on top of the basic payment scheme to sheep producers who farm in Scotland's rough grazing areas. The Agriculture Bill Consultation is now open for responses and closes on the 21st of November. The Scottish Government Climate Change Plan has committed to reducing agricultural emissions by 31% by 2032. The consultation covers everything from high quality food production to ensuring a fairer income for farmers to protecting biodiversity. Thanks for listening. See you again next time. I caught up with
0: George Chalmers in the northeast and Robert Ramsey in the southwest as they discuss harvest rolling to a close and their thoughts on upcoming calf sales.
2: Hi, George. Combines are rolling down here again this week. How's things? Uh, how's things progressing up the road?
3: Yeah, combines are going again. I think everyone is amazed with the progress that's being made this year. A lot of people are going to be finished in the month of August. Um, everything's getting getting there and uh, I suppose attention will be starting to move to other things like next year's crops and also livestock.
2: So that's the bit for us. So down here in the southwest, harvest is important, but it's not the be-all and end-all for the whole... It's not like up your way for the the whole countryside is buzzing with harvest. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of stock farms down here and there's certainly a lot of good stock that's going to need to shift in the next, you know, next really few weeks and, and certainly a couple of months. Uh, we see a lot of uh, stock getting sold, particularly you know, we're heading into that kind of time where your beef guys start looking to suckle calf sales, so those big sales in October. What we don't know down here is, you know, we we hear a lot of stories. There's a, quite a bit of negativity out there from a suckle calf producer point of view as to who is actually going to buy these. What what kind of feeling are you getting from your guys, you know, your finisher guys up your way, George?
3: Um I think we're not hearing a people who are not going to bother with it. Um I think a lot of people they just like keeping cattle as well. Um, they know that the it's a completely different ball game this year in terms of the finances. Um, cereals at two hundred and something. Well, that's that's unprecedented. Um, do they sell it? Put it through a stark? Who knows? It's um, but a lot of people they do like keeping keeping livestock. Um, it's also a way of, uh, you know, they walk the grain off the farm and it helps retain fertility. They've got the muck uh, and such like.
2: Yeah, which again is unprecedented. You know, the, the fertiliser story is completely unprecedented. You know, where we're at and where we're going to be in the spring for fertiliser, the value of that dung on a lot of these farms is going to be colossal. And I think that's the message. It's frustrating for me, I think, when you you speak to the, the guys who are selling who are saying this is going to be rubbish? And actually, the guys that are buying aren't really talking about it. They're just, you know, most of them are going to go and are going to bid, and and calves are going to be, you know, the beef price is is reasonable, and the the grain price has headed the right road for the beef job. You know, it has. I've nearly said tumbled. It's not quite tumbled. It's it's eased a bit, and probably eased to a point where in the in the early two hundreds, you can't think you can you can make. You can make inroads into a beef margin anyway. You can make a bit of progress with that.
3: I think in the springtime, we also saw people selling calves and they went to the mart with a wee bit of trepidation because obviously by that time, things had kicked off in the Black Sea area and they were thinking, what's going what's to happen here? Um, what kind of price am I going to get? And they were pleasantly surprised. Um, there's less beef cattle out there. And uh, you know, demand and supply does kick in a certain degree. There are a lot of finishers who are, are doing a numbers game; they need the numbers to turn over, so they're they're still going to be wanting their cattle. And you've also got other guys who just, you know, they're in the way of filling their shed, and uh, they do it every year, and you know, that's just what they do.
2: Yeah, and and the reality of the whole job, we're globally, we're short of processing beef. You know, demand for processing beef is is well and truly outstripping supply and that's why we've got this big price for cull cows and the big price for cull cows always it's not hard it's, it's not complex economics if you get a really good price for a cull cow you get less cows so through time you know we're uh, you know there's no doubt we're going to see a reduction in the herd and actually for the, for those that stay in the suckled calf job you know i think there's, a, there's certainly a pretty bright future there but really i think the the message today is you know count your costs have a have a look you know look at your business and, and really appraise it and you know make your own mind up as to what where suckled calves are going to be and what your system is going to be rather than listening to everyone else telling you exactly how bad it is or how good it's going to be or whatever you know you need to make up your own mind and and see where we go and that's where we're you know, We're in a really fortunate position that that's what we do for a job as we help people and you know through farm advisory service we've got a few really a lot of good outputs coming a couple of good meetings one I would highlight um maybe because it's got my name on it but um one to highlight is a in castle douglas at grange farm um Jamie Bigger and family are hosting a a big um, Future of Beef event, really. So what, what can we do this um, this winter? How can we control costs this uh, through the winter period? And also looking forward, where is this industry going to be in, you know, two, five, ten years time? Because there's no doubt change isn't coming. It's here already. You know, we need to, we, we do need to be aware of what's happening. So that's a really good I hope, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a really good event and certainly one. the link will be available in the show notes as well. And then we've got a number of other events, so well worth looking at the Farm Advisory Service website to look at what it can do to help you at both on a one-to-one level and also as a group level.
3: I think as well it's important that there are these events that look to the future. Um, the beef job, the beef, the beef sector, it has taken a battering. Um, both, both the economic side of it, and also um, from the point of view that uh, you know the climate change it um, perhaps seems an easy target at times. And uh, beef farmers, yeah, they can they can be defensive about it, but um, you know it needs a positive, it needs some positivity out there just to get get the thing going again and um, look to the future. Um, yeah, as you said, cow cows are. Again, unprecedented. Unprecedented is a word that seems to get used a lot at the moment, um, so there's no really an excuse for carrying any passengers or any room for sentimentality. Um, but uh, it's it's looking, yeah, it's it's about getting a positive look at it, and, and also, yeah, looking to the future. Where where are they going? Because because a cattle job is not, it's not a jump in and jump out out job. Um, you put, put heifers to the bull, and you're a few years down the line before you're actually selling anything
2: yeah yeah but i mean the the reality of where we're at there's a demand for what we do there's a need for us to get better at what we do and get more climate aware and, and produce what the market really wants and that's maybe not what we're producing at the moment so we need to alter what we're doing we need to be kind of dynamic in what we do but there's absolutely a future in what we do you know there's not this is not the end of the road and it's certainly exciting times on the other side of it so we often hear that we, you know, or Scottish farming often represents itself as producing the best beef in the world. And I think that's a very broad general statement. I do believe we produce some of, or some of the beef we produce is, is the best in the world or is some of the best in the world. But we do need to have a look at the whole system and, and also look at what that consumer wants. So the consumer, we now probably have two groups of consumers with a very ethical consumer who wants provenance short supply chain you know a uh, a very environmentally sensitive product to produce to a very high quality with minimal inputs the there is also the other group and that group's probably growing is the 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 group where the consumer is has very limited means so their they're their their pockets are under a lot of pressure their wages aren't going as far as they used to and that's a challenge for the beef sector and i i do probably see us producing a high-quality luxury type product rather than a day-to-day staple because there are other species and other ways of producing protein to meet the short-term day-to-day demand for, for that group. And hopefully once we come through this challenging economic period that group gets smaller. But they, we don't want to see a huge proportion of our population Strapped for cash, but certainly as as looking at gas prices, looking at um, or prices of everything going forward, there's there's no doubt what's going to go in a basket is going to going to have to cost less. Beef is uh, there's there's opportunities and options there, but certainly for me, the future for Scotch beef production is real high quality, real good stuff. Produced as as good a standard as we, as we possibly can with as much story as we can attach to it.
3: That's right, Robert. Um, yeah, beef is, is it's going to be seen as a luxury item, but it's also important that uh, the public sector get involved here and, and do their part in promoting Scotch beef, buy local, um, the whole message about food providence, get beef into schools. Um, you know, so the, the councils and government have got a role there to, to just encourage the public, and, and, and certainly it's the sort of thing that once, you know, once the kids are in the way of eating beef, you know, the parents they start buying beef, and and it's creating our own market. Really, it's it's getting this perpetuating our own market and and keeping this demand going going forward, so that there is a future.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the future. I mean, it's very pertinent at the moment that a a couple of days ago we saw the agriculture bill consultation open and that's the real you know it's the first time in a long time we've had the chance to actually we've been asked for our opinion on what the future of the future agricultural policy for Scotland looks like. And I think it's really, really important that all of us, beef producers and otherwise, get into that, read the read the bill, read or read the proposals and and respond to the consultation because we're all really good at moaning about it after we haven't said anything about it so we've got the chance and I think it's for everybody now to go and uh, have their say and hopefully shape something that really pushes Scottish agriculture forward rather than holds it back.
0: We are always busy at the Farm Advisory Service bringing you timely information, useful resources and hosting events and groups to help you build your farming network. The first Fast Connect Deer Farming Meeting will be held at Kinloch Rannoch on Monday the 12th of September. It's a 10:30 a.m. start and is open for all to attend. There will be speakers from the Venison Advisory Service and from SAC Consulting. The focus of the day will be to outline the farming system at Inner Hadden, including rotational grazing, setting up the rut, best practice weaning strategy, and how to successfully transition weaned calves onto a forage crop for outwintering. We'll hope to generate discussion around reducing production costs and maximising herd potential. If you'd like to come along, the link to the meeting details are available at faz.scot and you'll find them in the show notes. If you want to find out the latest on virtual fencing, you're in luck. We're running two meetings in person on Thursday the 15th of September. The meetings will be held at the same time in two different locations. The first at Corrimony in the Highlands and the other on the Isle of Lewis. The Lewis venue is being confirmed shortly and the website will be updated with all the details soon. At Corrimony, the Girvan family started using no-fence collars on their cows in 2020. They were one of the first commercial farms to use this technology in the UK. Members of the No Fence team will be at the meeting to explain the fundamentals of the technology, and they'll also demonstrate the collars in use on the farm. Helen Bibby, a conservationist at SAC Consulting, will explain how this technology can be used to realize conservation objectives. And for those attending the meeting on Lewis, you'll be in the capable hands of Robert Ramsey for the day. There will be one other meeting in this roadshow to follow in Renfrewshire on the 23rd of September. A link to all of the meeting details can be found in the show notes. As we approach the end of the summer months and thoughts turn to the autumn, it's important to make sure that we're making the most of our farm's resources. As grass quality starts to reduce, it's important to target your grazing according to the classes of stock who need it most. The decisions made now around grazing strategies will influence the performance of finishing lambs and for ewes throughout the entire breeding and lambing cycle. Grass is the cheapest feed resource on a farm. With concentrate prices soaring, it's vital to utilise the grass on farm to reduce reliance on feeds. Join Poppy Freighter and Daniel Stout from SAC Consulting's Graze Up for two evening webinars to help you to make sure you're optimising your grazing. The first webinar on the 8th of September will focus on management of the grazing ewe throughout winter to maintain the correct body condition whilst managing fields in order to maximise spring growth. The second webinar to be held on the 13th of September will cover finishing lambs off pasture, managing ewe lambs for tupping and decision making around priority stock and supplementation. The registration link for both of the events is in the show notes. Don't miss the second episode of Agriculture, our podcast show that tells the stories of the lives of the people in agriculture. This new episode features Chris Dyer from Garth's Croft on Bresse in Shetland. Chris tells us all about his background in archaeology, his interest in history, heritage, and native breeds, and how he and his family are aiming for self sufficiency. You can find a link to the episode in the show notes, or alternatively, you can just search "agriculture" Culture wherever you get your podcasts. This week, I was lucky enough to meet Margot McGill, a specialist in agricultural law from Lockhart's Law. And I asked her, What's on your desk?
4: Hi, Kerry. My name is Margot McGill. I'm a partner and joint owner of Lockhart's Law Solicitors and Ayr. We're a solicitor based firm established in 1876. So we have a very long association with Ayrshire and the west of Scotland. I'm an accredited specialist in agricultural law and one of only around 23 accredited specialists in Scotland and there are no others in Ayrshire. I therefore act on a daily basis for farmers, landowners, tenants and all types of agricultural situations. Primarily the type of transaction I have in my desk at the present time this week are farm purchases and sales. The agricultural market has been extremely buoyant over the last year. There has been a tremendous interest from both agricultural clients and forestry and investor type clients in buying rural property across the whole of Scotland. This has led to a very large increase and spike in the price and prices being paid for agricultural land. So this has kept me exceptionally busy um, over the last year and very much this week. So I have a number of transactions at present where I'm buying farms and selling farms for existing and new clients. And this year, for the first time, have been contacted by a number of energy companies as well in terms of their interest in pursuing purchases of Mm -hmm. land. Again, I think it's land is a great investment from energy's perspective, but I think for these energy companies, they do like to enhance and improve their carbon footprint by owning property within what is essentially the agricultural sector. And it's a great investment from a tax perspective as well for a lot of these large companies. So, farm purchases and sales are one of the main things on my desk. One of the kind of interesting points that comes out of farm purchase and sales that I deal with a lot are overage or clawback type agreements. So you can have a client or a farmer who is potentially agreeing to sell their land. They then proceed to sell their land, but as part of the agreement, they enter into a clawback situation. So that's where you maybe have a farmer who is selling a a farm or indeed a piece of land that lies adjacent to a town or a village. And although that land is not going to be developed at the present time, because of its proximity to the town or village, there is the possibility that it could be developed at a later date. So therefore, very often in these type of transactions, you also include an overage or clawback. It means the same thing, agreement, so that if that land was to be developed within a period of usually 20 years, then the farmer would also benefit from some of the uplift value that the potential developer would get. So I've actually I've got a few of those in my desk this week that I'm looking at, and that is becoming more common because, again, of the enhanced value that you can get out of farming land. So that, that's essentially some of the things that are on my desk. I've also got um, a number of farm partnership matters, which I'm dealing with. So when you enter into partnership, it is very important to ensure that when you when you set up the partnership, that is done properly and you put a partnership agreement in place to record the agreement amongst the partners. So I've got a few of those in my desk just now and that is a very important thing for all partnerships to bear in mind when they set up because your partnership document is just like the constitution. It sets down who the partners are, where you trade from, your accounts, and more particularly the details of the capital provisions which will apply across the partners and the profit and loss arrangements. And the kind of other thing that I've got quite a bit over in my desk at the present time is voluntary registrations of land. Following the Land Registration Scotland Act 1979, that, that was the, you know, the piece of legislation that introduced the land register, then... Subsequent to that, in 2012, we had the Land Registration Scotland Act 2012. And as a result of that, the government is very, very keen to make sure that the whole of Scotland is land registered in the next well a short period. It's, it's about 2024, 2025, they were originally keen to have the whole of Scotland onto the land register. Whereas going forward, the land registration system is fully based on plans a plan called the cadastral map so before your property is put onto the land register it has to be fully mapped and it's a very useful exercise to basically clarify your boundaries and indeed ensure there are no discrepancies between you and your neighbour's property because when we go to register farmer's land in the land register there are very often the odd discrepancy But there is kind of the rule of thumb that, you know, if you can get your property onto the land register first, it means your boundary is as accurate as you can possibly make it. And there's less likelihood for discrepancies, although discrepancies can arise. So getting your property fully land registered and to do this at the present time is a very sensible thing to do. And it's called voluntary registration. And the government, to encourage this, are reducing the registration dues. They've reduced the registration dues at the land register by 25% to encourage farmers to get their land onto the land register. And that then means you end up with a nice title sheet for the property. I say nice, that's maybe not the best descriptive word, but you would previously have the large bundle of prescriptive seizing deeds. deeds, um, as I say, with the lovely legalese descriptions Whereas now you've got a nice A4 booklet that sets down exactly what you own. And there's a very clear plan showing the extent of your farm, usually in pink or outlined red. And it is very clear from a layman's point of view to just pick up that booklet and you can check at any given time yourself, you know, what exactly you own. So it's more user friendly um, as well. So I decided to work in the rural sector because I'm essentially born and bred into farming. I'm a farmer's daughter and a farmer's wife and have two farming mad sons, so farming is very much in the mix in everything I do. I grew up on the family farm down in Maybowl in South Ayrshire with my brother and mother and father. I enjoyed all the young farmer activities, went to all the events and shows at Gymkhana's and just loved loved it all. Thoroughly enjoyed my time um, growing up in the family farm. I think it's a tremendous life and a tremendous lifestyle. And then um, I, when I got the entrance qualifications to go to do law, I had always wanted to do law as well, just had a real interest in history and law and was absolutely over the moon when I got a chance, when I got the, accepted for Glasgow University to do law. And having completed my degree there and coming out and entering into the world of work, I was tremendously lucky to get great jobs with different firms. I've worked in small firms, the large, the largest of the firms and medium tier firms. And as I went along, it became very obvious that my natural love of agriculture and everything associated with agriculture actually mixed very well with my love of the law. So putting the two together, it made complete sense to do agricultural law. Yeah, I think it was just <laughs> it was just meant. It was one of these things that, yeah, I had no, no difficulties deciding that that's the sector I wanted to be in. So something that I am really passionate about are my children. I have two sons, Rodi who is sixteen, and Kyle, who is twelve. I suppose, really, saying that I'm just a typical mum, but my boys play such a, a huge part of my life. When so much so, when I was interviewed for my job um, at Lockhart's 11 years ago, I was asked by the senior partner then at the firm as to you know what my priorities were and you know how did I order order these things in my life, um, and I still stand by the response that I gave then which is well firstly i'm a mom secondly i'm a wife and thirdly i'm a solicitor and that is the ordering that i apply then and that's the ordering that i still try to apply now and I think the senior partner at that time was just quite impressed that I had the goal to actually set it out as it was and to and to intimate that these were my priorities. And that was the ordering of my priorities. And they basically offered me the job that day. So so clearly it didn't um, do me any harm, but I still stand by that because I think to do your job well, you have to be happy and who you are and happy in your home life. And that then gives you, you know, the, the I don't know, the, the, the joy or the, the time essentially to be able to do your job well. In terms of um, my boys and what they do and my husband, we have got loads of commitments with um, differing farming activities. We go to lots of different shows. They're involved in the hosting Young Breeders Association, as am I. And as I say, being involved in all these kind of typically farming activities gives us all a lot of a lot of enjoyment. And I, I usually over the years get involved in sponsoring them and um, donating prize money just so that I can obviously be a part of it. And it's great to encourage all the young folk that go to these things things, that's one of the things we get such a buzz out of. So in terms of interests or things I do out of work, um, I'm also the clerk to the Lord Lieutenant of Ayrshire and Arran. So the Lord Lieutenant is presently Sheriff Iona Macdonald, OBE. Um, I'm so honoured to be involved in organising any royal visits to the local area. Or one of the favourite things which I'm involved in doing is organising telegrams for um, from the Queen for couples who have maybe met, met their 60th, 65th or 70th wedding anniversary or indeed 100th birthday telegrams um, for individuals obviously that get to that amazing milestone. So I'm very, very honoured to be able to assist in doing these kinds of things um, in connection with this role. So that's uh, a phenomenal thing. Uh, i absolutely love doing so that's maybe a little a little different to the normal <laughs> if you would like to get in touch with me about any of the things which i've touched on today then um to include farm purchases and sales farming partnerships voluntary registrations in the land register or anything at all which is giving you cause for concern or you just need a further chat about or further information about then please don't hesitate to get in touch um I think all my contact details will be in the show notes, but my email address is extremely easy. It's margomagill at lockheartslaw.com. So don't hesitate to get in touch.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to make sure that you get notified each time a new episode is available. If you'd like to contact us, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes.
4: See you again in a couple of weeks.